And yeah, we just have to figure out a funny way to start this conversation, Brittany. What are we going to do? I Can I give you a compliment? Yeah. This is a very well-accessorized and clean room for a young man. I'm not trying to stereotype, and I'm not trying to generalize, but I have never been inside a straight young man's room that was this, like, organized, color-coordinated... Thank you. You have an eye for interior design. Were you on Queer Eye? <laughs> no, but I uh, I have OCD sometimes. I mean, no, like I, I basically... That'll do it. No, I, 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 at points in my life, you could say I've been gripped by that perfectionism where you just like keep like trying to make something perfectly straight and right. you, you get stuck for like two minutes. Yeah. I've been there and I have to be like, you know, assuming like keep moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I feel like I'm like 80 years old. I'm some of my best friends like in life are just like old people, like, like Fran, my neighbor. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I always say that too. I'm like 30 going on 94. Like I really am. Like, and I feel like people don't believe me when I say that, but like I cover my body in, like, Vicks Vapor Rub often. Like, <laughs> I go to bed before 11 as, as much as I possibly can. Like, I think my parents have more fun than I do, and they're 40 years older than me. So, yeah. Well, what, it, what does it make to be someone like that means that you've just had a lot of experiences, right? You've overcome a lot of fear. Yeah, yeah. I've lived, that's part I've of lived many lives, kid. I've lived many go. lives. No, I, I don't know. I think You know what I think it is? I grew up as, like, an only child, um, and my parents had me really late in life, so I think that, like... I just was constantly surrounded by adults. Like, growing up, I never wanted to be at the kids' table. I wanted to be at, like, the adults' table. Right. And they would be like, oh, you can't sit here, honey. We're talking about <laughs> auntie's divorce or something. Or we're talking about that. Oh, you know. But I always wanted to sit around adults and stuff. And I think it's just manifested. Okay. But I yeah. think part of, it is, part of it is just, like, having enough experiences. And, and that's, like, for some people in America have not left their hometown before. Right. So I think you're probably the opposite of that. Um, so let's bring it to the start here. Yes. Um, what, where were you born? Belleville, New Jersey. Belleville, New Jersey. That's yeah. A, that's a beautiful name for a town. It's Belleville. a, that's nice to hear because it's an absolute piece of shit. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. It's, um, I'm actually embarrassed to tell people that, um, because Belleville's an absolute dump. Lots of crime. Really stinky because New Jersey's just full of absolute pollution yeah. and it's right by the Hudson and everything. Um, it's just so happens to be the city in which the hospital that I was born, it was the only hospital in North Jersey. So are you one of those people who remembers like their hospital name when they were where they were born? Um, I do remember only because my mom and dad, Clara Moss Hospital. Um, the hospital was so bad and Belleville's such a piece of shit that my mom got a huge infection at the hospital. Like literally, and she had to stay for like three weeks after giving birth to me. So fuck you, Clara Moss. <laughs> and fuck you, Belleville, New Jersey. <laughs> I don't even think the hospital is isn't clean. I think um, I think it's just outside New Jersey pollution leaked in and gave my mother an infection. So wow. yeah, but she's fine now. You know, she's <laughs> alive and kicking and annoying, but she's fine. Yeah. Well, you, you turned out great. <laughs> Thank you. Some would say. Hopefully, she wouldn't know. Okay, so you yeah. are. So I want to know what were you like in high school? Were you the one class clown, always cracking jokes, or what? I had a lot of different personalities in, in high school. You know, I just actually reconciled this. That's funny that she said that. So I was the class clown, but I was also class president. So I was class president all four years. Wow. Yes, thank you. It's called a legacy. Um, <laughs> I right. I, it was a lot of giving out 
free hall passes and free hand jobs for me to maintain that kind it's of different work. than valedictorian. A little bit different focus. Right? Oh, 100%. Was I valedictorian? Uh, no, I'm not a nerd. Okay. I was yeah. class president leading a cult, if you will. Yeah. And if you were both, then you're just too perfect. You should probably just die. Right. You're a robot then. Exactly. And if you were both, yeah, you, you, what, you lost your virginity at 44 and you had no friends and you're socially inept. Clearly, obviously. Um, I was class president. I was very straight in line. I was in a lot of activities like theater and dance. If there was an activity, I was in it and I tried to be president of it or like as involved as possible. But I also was class clown. Like I was also really known um, as as like the goofball and the wacky one. And like I did a lot of improv in high school. So sometimes I feel like when I got bullied for being like a good student and class president and like, oh, she's so involved or she's so perfect mm. or she does so much, I used my ability to be funny to like not get bullied or like be like, hey guys, no, like I'm, I'm right. cool, I'm right. cool, you know. So I was, I was the class clown trapped in the class president's body. That was me. Okay. In and- high school. Yeah. yeah, and so from there, what what kind of thing does someone like you want to study? Sorry, I ramble, and you gave me no. coffee. So if you just cut me off, just be like, bitch, shut the fuck up. And just so you do coffee before your sets? Or? I do coffee before everything. I do yeah. blow before everything. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I I'm going to just start part. taking the vaccine before everything. I'm just going to take a quick shot of Johnson & Johnson before I get on stage. Let's Soon enough, we'll be drowning in them. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. have to just... Truly. <laughs> Truly. Anyhow, so you were... You were uh, very energetic, and then what, what the hell did you pick to study? Where did you go to college? Went to University of Florida. Um, I really wanted to go out of state, but I was poor, so that wasn't gonna happen. Um, and colleges are so funny. I love when you get, like, I don't know, where you, where'd you go to school? Villanova. Oh, okay, gotcha. Like, I feel like colleges give, like, scholarships. And they're not really scholarships or like coupon codes. Like they're just right. like they're like we're so happy to have you. We're gonna give you two hundred and fifty dollars, and you're like, great, that will pay for a page of a book. Um, but I went to University of Florida. I studied PR and theater because I wanted to have the fallback career. I did PR theater and a minor in business. So again, I kind of carried on that high school uh, nerd and goody two shoes a little bit into college as well. Had more fun though did more improv did more drugs had more fun um but yeah i was a gator all four nice. years yeah I, I could totally see that you just like game day <laughs> yeah really you're the second person to say that i was just with somebody the other day and they're like yeah you have the university of florida vibe you can even be a cheerleader some cheerleaders are, so, are, are kind of like even the one they just throw up in the oh air, right? god i did cheerleading i did cheerleading there in high go. school and i hated it because i was the one they fucking threw up in the <laughs> air all the time and i was like come on guys <laughs> So can, can't the fat girl lose weight or something and like pull her weight for once? It was annoying. Yeah. And I couldn't stand being around cheerleaders. I did dance and cheerleading and I like, not that dancers are much better because dancers can be very annoying and over the top and robotic too. But like, I liked dancing better than cheerleading because I could not stand being around the cheerleaders. Right. I was like, girls, we got to turn it off sometimes. Just take it down. They're just too serious in their smiling faces, you know, Barbie style. Yeah, well, we're all, in dance and cheerleading, and even a little bit theater, like, we're burying some, like, deep childhood trauma. Like, it's really, that's that's what leads you to these things. But anyway. And that's important. That's what comedy kind of is a way of expressing all that and getting in touch with yourself. So, so you found an improv troupe at at UF? I did. Theater Strike Force. Shout out Theater Strike Strike Force. Force. Yeah. They were actually really big in, like, the college improv scene like yeah. they did um we went to like uh, the tbs college improv tournament and 
They're like, at least in the improv network, improv is very incestuous and everyone who's ever done improv. Incestuous. Yeah, in some capacity. I guess all comedy is, but like they all kind of know each other. Um, but Theater Strike Force actually has like a pretty decent reputation for being like a solid college improv troupe. And right. like if you come from there, the, the major improv schools know about you right. kind of thing. So that was fun. That was like a fraternity in and of itself. Right. Yeah. It's a so. small enough world where, yes, it's like... You're so, like, you're hanging out with like-minded people, but, like, you're such in a niche where it's, like, you know, you it is, like, its own community. It totally is. And 100% is. It had all the elements of a frat, except it was cheaper. Like, we didn't have <laughs> to pay, like, the over-the-top fees to pay for friends. But it was, like, there was a little bit of a hazing process. You know, it yeah. was super incestuous. There was, like, a social ladder. There was a lot of clicky drama. There was a lot of, you know, we just performed whereas you know frats went to formals that was yeah. it. i think I mean, we even had formals too <laughs> and stuff so yeah did you guys travel for that or we no? did we did i remember doing shows all across florida together in atlanta i think we went to so it was fun that defined a lot of my my college right. was theater strike Force. okay and yeah. so what did you decide to do uh, after college i made the very bad mistake of using my pr degree and not going with my gut and using my theater mm. degree and i moved to new york um, which was the dream. That was the plan ever since I was a little girl. My parents would take me to Manhattan. I would see a homeless man jerk off on a random stranger, and I would be like, this is my city. You know, yeah. this is where I want to be. Um, I moved to New York immediately within a month, and I also worked for Sony uh, and did, like, PR and marketing for them in college. It was, like, a field rep. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to New York. Everything's really expensive and scary there. Like, every time you take a breath, you owe somebody a hundred bucks. Literally, that's New York. Um, so I was like, I'll just take the safe route and work in PR and work in music. And I can always just do comedy on the side. Right. But, you know. And I did. I did do, like, all the improv schools and stuff. But I got, like, super caught up in 9 to 5 corporate mm. PR before I knew it. So, right. um... Well, that, that happened. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you... I, I'd say yes, it was a less risky choice, but at the same time, look look at you now. I mean, it's it's yeah. you had your whole life to go into comedy and and to do it on the side. So I think I think in your in your position, a lot of people, even people like I'd say I'm pretty um, risk tolerant. Like I like risk. I probably would have still done something similar. Just have that have that you know because it's hard to start a career after. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for you to try to go into PR after doing comedy for five years, that never happens. I mean. It's, it's kind of like I studied mechanical engineering because mm. I knew I wanted like a broad like education. I want to challenge myself, mm -hmm. but I didn't like the second that I got into that, I was like, I don't want to do this ever again. That's you so funny I mean? that you think mechanical engineering is broad education. Well, yes, in terms of engineering, it's, it's oh, like, in terms of engineering, it touches on a lot of things like civil and um, aerospace and all kinds of things. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. 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 But anyhow, I wouldn't even, I, that's a compliment by the way that I'm giving you. It's just funny that you're like, I wanted something broad and generic. So I went into mechanical engineering. I was like, I got a degree in PR, which was complete right. bullshit. I could like, have done poli sci or something too. But. Right. Right. Or what is it? General studies or something yeah. or human issues. No, or I wanted to challenge myself. And I think, uh, you're probably pretty similar. So we'll get to that. But so you're in your PR challenging yourself doing some, had you started doing stand-up yet? Have you no. ever tested those waters? I don't know, that, you were a late entrant into that. So I was always curious. So actually, I did improv in um, Boston and San Francisco up to like level three or four. That's why we get along. Um, I can always tell the improv in somebody. Yeah, you're just loose and there's nothing in the head, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's loose. That's it. You're just loose and there's nothing in the head, baby. You just <laughs> fill it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, great. there ain't no script to this conversation, <laughs> that's for sure. And that's, that's what makes it on the secret is like 
that's the secret to like living a joyous life because like I didn't have any homework really. I mean, I, I read a few articles about you. I'm not gonna lie. You gotta fill your brain with some stuff. You absolutely, know? gotta do a little but background. There yeah. ain't no like. I would have been very insulted had you <laughs> not. Obviously. I was. You can hear I was playing some Ozzy Osbourne radio. And, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I read. A, I read a good article. You and your father love Ozzy Osbourne. We do. I love a man who stalks me. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually just kind of funny. Uh, so you're actually right now. We'll, we'll skip to the future real quick. You're you're doing this like YouTube series like. The disastrous dating life of Diane. Yeah. And I saw one of them, and it was like this guy like making you coffee, and it was like <laughs> it was like, it was, like yeah. judging you for your coffee taste. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was funny because I just served you a coffee before this, and it was like exactly the same scene. Yes. Luckily, it was. I'm not a psychopath. But right, it was much less awkward. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. But let's jump back in the past here. I love doing that. Um, so back to the back to the back to the past. So you were uh, working PR, doing improv. Doesn't improv? So what I found is like. You basically do it enough where you find your crew, you find your troupe, and then you like have fun doing it. Some people do it well enough where they can like get the booked shows where people paid, audiences pay to go see them. But like that's I feel like from there it's like the dream to like hit SNL or go over to like do like a season at, at, at Second City and right. then like the dream right. is to like hit SNL at some point or something, right? Sure. Um, yeah. so where did you reach in your like improv? levels like yeah I did um I started doing it so I started doing improv in like middle school I was really fortunate that all of my like middle school drama teachers uh really had an affinity for comedy and also for improv specifically so if you were a late bloomer awkward overachiever like like such as I uh you kind of like found a place for yourself in improv you're like cool this has always been my like superpower was to be goofy and silly um so I did it I did it all throughout then high school college did theater strike force um I did all of UCB like the sketch and improv the pit I spent a summer in Chicago I did IO in second city um when I was down in Miami many many years ago I did just the funny and impromity and Sack Comedy Lab in Orlando. I really loved improv. I did a lot of improv. Yeah. Like, a lot. Like, I actually think I'm... I'm actually... I'm about to take classes at Villain Theater. Mm. Um, again, who and they're wonderful. And, you know, but it's it's interesting because I really hadn't... Done, I felt like I had reached the ceiling with doing improv right. a little bit. Like, I was like, I've done a lot of it. Like, I don't know if I could do any more or learn anymore. But, um, yeah, that was my improv resume. Anywhere I could do it, I was doing it. Right. I taught it as well, too. Yeah, you just, I mean, you enjoyed it, right? Loved it. it. takes a lot of energy, though. I found that out. I mean, you're standing up, like, the whole time almost, like... Yeah. You need, like, your energy bars. Like, what, what was your fuel? Again, I told you, cocaine. Um, <laughs> I had the vaccine early on. COVID, early, early onset COVID many years ago. Yeah, that's what kept me going, baby, you know? Yeah. Okay, so, all right, so, the, so you, what, at what point did you quit your career in, in PR? 20, I made the decision in 2017 and it's very cliche it's very mrs mazel it was after like a terrible terrible abusive relationship and the subsequent collapse of my life around that and then like having to look inward and be like oh my god i haven't made a single choice that i really want to make or i don't like anything in my life shocker um so i made the decision in end of 2017 to completely pivot to comedy and acting and i didn't really start to like do it do it until like mid 2018. I really think that trip to Chicago, I had always dreamed of going out to Chicago, doing IO, doing Second City, and there was like no better way for me to like commemorate pivoting my career and doing comedy full time than like now's the time. Right. 
I'm out of PR. I closed my PR business. I started just taking like odd jobs and temp jobs and you know, OnlyFans. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I still, I haven't tapped into that. I really, really should. I've been giving hand jobs for free. It's about time I get paid. No. Um, yeah. Mid-2018. Yeah, mid-2018. That got off the rails. People we pause on, you know. Just... <laughs> right, right. Dramatic pause. Yeah, right, right. They're going to be like, she's literally considering it right now. Yeah. <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, yeah, that's not happening right now, guys. Um, yeah. But, so you, uh... <laughs> I gotta keep talking or else they're gonna second right, <laughs> I'm so. jerking him off right now. <laughs> but it's okay. All right, so so you, you took the opportunity to go where you, you, you basically spent that summer in Chicago where you, you closed down what you were doing in PR. Yes. And you probably built up somewhat of like a somewhat of like a a how you say not not a nest, but like a backup. Like you had savings, right? You had like you like you felt you could take some risk in a your little life. bit. A little bit. I did have savings. Um yeah. Honestly, no. No? No. No cushion? Because I, I really came out of that relationship, like, with kind of, like, nothing. Like, um, it was a super, it was a very, very physically abusive relationship that ended in, like, legal action. That was, like, literally the only way out. But that's a bummer. We'll save that for another episode. Um, but I, when I, I literally was, like, evicted from my apartment because of it. And, like, because, you know, shocker. Landlords don't like when the cops are there all the time. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> they're like, "Hey, stop killing her upstairs." Um, <laughs> YOLO. Um, so like, I had that. I had that. I was like losing clients. Like I was like losing. Like I had like literally nothing. So wh- when I started comedy, I really did kind of like start from bottom and like net zero, honestly. So I guess I had a little bit of savings from like the the tail end excuse me, of PR, but I think more than anything, I had this, like, really overwhelming ability, not to get too Hallmark card, but, like, to, like, change my whole life and, like, start anew. Like, so I really didn't have any, like, I had nothing to my name other than, like, knowing I was always good at comedy, knowing I was always a performer, knowing that was what I always wanted to do. Right. So when I kind of went back to square one, square zero, I was, like, I really didn't have it's like a new life, you know. You're kind of it like was. starting a new life. You know? it's, it's, I literally look at like the before that relationship and the after that relationship, and it has not only to do with him; it has to do with like everything else. I hated PR. I hated PR. Right. I hated my apartment in Jersey. I hated him and what was going on in that relationship. I don't think I don't really think I liked my relationship with my family at that time. I don't think I liked like the friends I had at that time. I don't think I liked myself. That's why all those things were happening. Right. So I literally like, you know could split my life up into two chapters like that was chapter one yeah. this it was a chapter. perfect storm of like of like terribleness that made you change yeah which i think is like almost like a it's one reason a lot of times we find amazing things in tragedy right we, we find yeah fuck yeah we come out of tragedy it's like the phoenix you know you come yeah. out of fire so mm-hmm. that's that's what, what happened to you is not uncommon um some stuff happened to me in my life where it was just like oh my god like new chance to remake myself because i just completely made a fool um, we'll get into that someday, but, um, basically mm-hmm. you, when you, re- when you made yourself, what kind of city were you like, this is where I think I belong to kind of like make, <laughs> I like how, I like how you were like, we'll get into that someday. I was about to be like, um, I'm the guest. This podcast is about my massive life mistakes. Okay. Yes. No, I'm kidding. That's my, I'm that's, kidding. That's, that's yeah. like... This time is mine. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
Would you say what city did I? Yeah, I mean, it was in New York. We were like, I can make a living in New York doing comedy. Yeah, I was. I was already living in New York. I was living in Jersey. I hated my apartment in Jersey. I knew New York was the place. I moved to New York for comedy. Like, I told myself I was moving for comedy, but I also had this job lined up in music, and then I just kind of got carried away into music for like five, six years. Music PR. Um, I just knew. I always knew. Again, it sounds so crazy, but like I always knew I was going to be like a famous and or working comedian like I knew it like I just was like I know that's my end goal like even when I was like at the top of my game in PR or like living this literally completely different life with this person and this and a bunch of these things that I now hate I see that I hated I always knew my end goal was comedy like I just knew it like and it, it just took all of that happening for me to be like so when are you gonna start doing that like when are you you're not actually doing anything to work towards that um so yeah, I was already in New York and it was it was kind of just about like pivoting and restarting my whole life. I like moved apartments. I moved into Brooklyn from Jersey, um, got back into classes, finished whatever classes I needed to finish. I think at like the pit, signed up for Chicago and just kind of went balls to the motherfucking wall on like, I was so excited to finally be doing this and not have the life I had before. Right. But where do you start making money? <laughs> that's, well, like, that's like, right. I'll let you know when I figure it out. No. Still TBD. I don't know. Um, you you know, the first few years as an artist, or I guess as any kind of entrepreneur, is it's a lot of, like, ups and downs. Like, I can look at it one way, which is, like, what was the first time I was paid to do comedy? And I got paid to do stand-up within the first three months of doing it. Like, one of my first shows. I got put on, like, a pretty popular bar show in Brooklyn. I got paid. That's the technical first time. Like somebody saw me at an open mic, booked me. I got paid 25 bucks and like two drink tickets. And I was like, I just got paid to do comedy. I'm fucking killing it. Hitting the town, you know? And then now it's like, I'm about to hit three years in of like fully really doing this. And there's good months, bad months, good weeks, bad weeks. And that's, that's just the nature of this. Like, you know, and I think I'm currently at a place where I feel very grateful things are really good, especially I have like my foot in New York and I have my foot in Miami. It's really cool to have a presence in two major cities. You're just straddling the East Coast. I am just straddling. (laughs) I'm just spread eagling the East Coast. Like I, I mean, I'm, I'm taller than what you think. I'm, I'm actually in New York right now. This is a hologram of me. Um, but yeah, it's great. And it's it's kind of like, instead of making up my mind about where to land, I'm just kind of in both right now. And, but I am at that point as a creative. So to answer your question about money, like, I'm very grateful. I feel a lot of momentum in my career right now. There's a lot of opportunities, but they're not all paid. Right. But I know they're worth more than money technically right now. So I do think I'm in that stage right now where it's like, okay, we're really, really busy. We're on stage every night, multiple times a night, whether it's in Miami, New York, I'm going to Denver, I'm going to Austin, whatever. The money, I think, is going to hopefully catch up. Right. I'm like, I've got to be headed in the right direction, yeah. you know, because I'm like, the opportunities are there now. It's just about, like, asking for the money or making those kinds of yeah. deals. You're hustling. You're like kind of like a podcast hoe, too, by the way. I saw you did, like, tons of podcasts. I am a podcast hoe. <laughs> I just love talking. <laughs> and if I get to do it about myself, even hey, what, better. How do you feel about sitting down and making making jokes? Isn't it a little more comfortable than like standing up? Or do it's, you think standing up brings that out of you like a little bit? I don't know. It's always weird. It's always, <laughs> you know, uh, it is easier to like be funny in a podcast setting because it's just like conversational and stand up is it's so a, yeah. 
It's improv. It, we're, you have a partner, you know, talking about stuff. Oh, There's yeah, a, we're bouncing, you know? Bouncing. I'm like, yes, I'll take coffee, and I'll give you a hand job, you know? Like, right. boom, right, no. So, it's, yeah, no, stand-up was always, it's always kind of, it's a little more scary. You don't, you don't have someone to work with on, on the comedy aspect, and that's where a lot of people go back to kind of self-depreciation has, like, kind of the first go-to of making people laugh, right? And and have you, do you see yourself as going beyond that? What, what's like, what's like beyond self-depreciation? I think it's, that's real, that's where um, real comedy is found. I think if you're really trying to say something about yourself and be, I think there's two different types of comedians and I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I think there's the kind that um, are traditional comics and they just, they just want to work and they just want to be funny and they just want to have a tight set and that's it. And then I think that there's, there's people who are the modern day philosophers. Right, like, you know, there's a ton of work in comics, but when you think of really, like, the legends, at least right now, you think of, like, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, for better or for worse, Amy Schumer, you know, things like that. Like, you know, Eliza Schlesinger, um, all of these people, all the Chris Rock, all these guys, like, you know, they're, Whitney Cummings, like, they're, to me, they are philosophers, like, like I said, there's like working comics and touring comics and that's great if that's what you want to do and you just have an act that works and fits and it doesn't really grow. Like, it, I am biased. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think there is, and then I think there's people that are like really trying to say something. Like even Joe Rogan and stuff like that. Right. That they're really getting up there and they're like going to sacrifice laughs. They really have some deep observations mm. about society. Um People want to hear what they think about things. And it goes beyond, like, set-up punch, set-up punch, and mm. one-liner. It's, like, really what I think the heart of comedy is, is, like, we're the people who can see through and process society for everybody else and so see true. ourselves and what everybody else is going through. That is what I'm going for. So to your point, I think you have to graduate from the self-deprecating and the hacky and the easy and the blue and the dirty stuff. And like, if you really want to be like, you want to go beyond being a comic, you want to be like a voice for a generation. Mm. Like you actually want to say something, albeit wrapped in comedy that maybe like changes someone's perspective. Um, Cause when it's self deprecating, it feels selfish to me. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Like it's, we're all fucked up. That's why we get into comedy. But if you're going to stand up there and just make yourself the punching bag, the audience will laugh. Why wouldn't you laugh at someone right. up there who's, like, poking fun at themselves? It's going to make you feel good, right? They love feeling good, the audience, yeah. when you're making fun of yourself. But that's so selfish. That's just for you at that point. That's just for mm -hmm. you to get laughs and for you to t pull, sit in your own misery and self-deprecate yourself. And I think real comedy is if you can push past that. You're like, I'm not your punching bag. I actually have something to say. I actually have an observation mm. about society that I think everyone can relate to. You know what I mean? It's like philosopher so, versus jokester. I think so. I think it's comedian versus comic. Philosopher versus jokester. Like, you know, I think, I really do think that that's it. Because, yeah, you'll get a laugh, but that's so easy just to put yourself down and just make fun of yourself or go dirty or whatever. But it's like, is anybody going to remember what you said? Right. And, that, and at, at the end of the day, that's what... That's what makes the creative truly, um, like a step above the others is just like being that voice and, and seeing and basically calling out shit. Yeah. Know, that, that, so for example, some people are in photography and they use that as their medium to really call out stuff. Some people are in journalism and, and they tend to, they tend to, you know, focus on areas that are kind of conflicting because that's, you know, that's kind of like the whole point of art is to kind of like, just like make people feel something or, or just like change their, their viewpoint. 100%. So what's, something that think. You, what's something that you've done or one of your jokes or areas that 
kind of plays into this. Yeah, I um I have a lot of stuff on uh gender for sure. I am a I am a big feminist and I think I'd like to kind of I kind of work in a lot of different projects to kind of change the way modern feminism is like perceived and received. Um all these movements go through waves and things like that. Um but I think that there's a way to make it inclusive to men and I think that you know with all like I said with all these movements we get kind of like caught up in what's real activism and what's actually moving something forward versus what's putting people down you know so I do a lot of stuff about women um I I think I I think that the female experience I think the human experience is wild I think men obviously have many layers to them too I happen to be a woman and proudly identifies that and I think the female experience is fucked up like I think there's a lot to it you know like we we can carry life in our bodies that that in and of itself so a lot of my stuff is around feminism and gender and sexuality and dating and intimacy um but I also draw a lot on I'm not an observational comic I'd like to draw a lot on myself and then figure out ways to bridge the gap to other people you know so there's a lot about my family a lot about my family I grew up Italian um yeah, just pulling on my roots and my family and my experiences and then trying to find ways to make people feel less alone through that, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I also like to poke fun at our generation because as millennials, we're so fucking stupid. Right. And sometimes we need that to realize it, you know. Yeah. We need to laugh about it and then change it, maybe. Boomers never made fun of themselves. You know, boomers Boomers think that they're the greatest hardworking generation ever. And... Gen Z, those kids are brain dead. And, I mean, they're just far gone already. I got banned on TikTok for saying pussy the other day. Uh-huh. And I was like, I didn't show a pussy. You're I really didn't... defining your audience, though. You're calling out, like, half of the half of the human kind. I am a little bit. I know. Well, I feel like boomer comedy was very, like, self-centered and, like, I don't, you know, I don't. I, I like to poke fun at millennials, basically. I think we're a brilliant generation, but I think there's a lot of idiocy and like, the things that we do and that we... And going back to what we said on the early part of the podcast, I feel like I am a 90-year-old woman trapped in a 30-year-old's body. Mm. So, I, yeah. You think you'll have this much energy at 90? I think, who knows? Who knows? There's some people, I'm, I read about centenarians all the time. I mean, they don't, uh, I wonder who's who's like the oldest comedian to go on stage. That'd be something. Betty White, probably. Yeah. Mm. Anyhow, so all right, so there's this whole, I mean. I don't know. So you, you're starting getting momentum in your career right when COVID yeah. happens. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why you've been here in Miami with us. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to that story. Like you were in New York doing your thing, pre- performing, and then boom, COVID. Yeah. 2020 was going to be the year that I threw the financial net to the wayside. I was like, that's it. I'm going to, I had a, I had a fallback, like independent contractor job that if I needed extra money, I could make my own hours and whatever. But for the most part, I had tour dates lined up, fundraising gigs. I was producing my own shows, regular spots. That was going to be the year that I was going to try and go for it for real financially, at least. Um, which as you know, if you have boomer parents, they don't really believe you're doing anything for real until you're doing it financially for real. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and then COVID and it was like, no. Um, but that was weirdly, I feel weird saying this, but like I, uh, I, I had a great 2020. Like that's, I know that's, you know, wild, all things considered, but right. a quarantine sucked and obviously like we all had the rug pulled out from us at the top of the year, but coming home has been like the best decision for me and giving up my apartment. It's just kind of given me like the comforts and the creative freedom to like just focus on comedy. And 
I didn't really stop in the pandemic. I did a lot of virtual stuff and online stuff. And then New York had this really beautiful scene pop up of like outdoor shows Mm -hmm. in the pandemic. Like this, our indie lane is like stronger than ever. It's stronger than the club circuit now. Um, So yeah, it feels strange to admit this, but like I really did have like an awesome 2020. Like it was really turnkey for my career. I think if you were able to push through the pandemic and like work and do it safely and responsibly, you know, it's it's like anything. You could look at, like, how you were saying about your life and times, too. Like, you can look at any experience and be like, I'm either going to let this define me. Well, it's going to define me one way or another. It's either going to define me in that it stopped me mm. and it threw me for a loop. Or it's going to define me in the sense that I'm going to look at it as a brand new right. avenue or way to do things differently. And I know a lot of people who stopped completely comedians in the pandemic. And that, to me, is insane like I would never waste a complete year you know like and I so yeah it's just I it's like looking at everything that happened and being like okay so how do we how do we do this it's another test like just brought on and sometimes sometimes like you almost welcome like great people welcome that or they just realize that like they were they benefited from external tests that were thrust upon them right because sometimes we all need to challenge ourselves yes but sometimes when the world challenges us yeah it brings out that golden that, that otherwise would never have been found because we needed that extra adversity. So I was kind of curious, when's the last time that you felt challenged? Because I don't think like, COVID probably didn't challenge you even that much. Like what, when's the last time you felt really challenged? Oh, that's a deep question. Um, and like a small scale or a large scale? No, like, like your skills and like your, like you really felt challenged. I guess last year, really. Oh, I feel cha- I feel challenged every time I get on stage with stand-up. Right, you challenge yourself, like, every day. That's why I was like, someone like you, like, what's something new or something scary? Like, what would scare Brittany Bray? Like, I, that's what I'm kind of curious about. Oh, wow. Oh! <laughs> I have really dumb fears. Like, like I'm always like, what if I get run over by a truck or something? I'm just kidding. Um, what's really... You know what's, like, a, okay, you know what's, like, a, a challenge for me now? Like, I, I just turned 30 and, like... I guess, like, a challenge now is, like, finding security in new ways and, like, letting go of New York to, like, relocate in Miami. I would say that's, like, a pretty big challenge right now. Like, really taking the last few months since, like, giving up my apartment in New York to really, like, evaluate, like, where do I want to be? What makes the most sense for me? I am entering 30. Like, how do I find security while also hustling as hard as I am with comedy? Like, how do I have the best of both worlds? Um... And starting, I'm, I, I am, like, 30, and, like, even though Miami's home and I grew up here, I am, like, very unexpectedly starting a brand new life here again, right? right? Like, I was talking to you before we recorded about, like, I don't I don't know this Miami. The last time I lived here was over 10 years ago. Like, Wynwood wasn't a thing. The place, a lot of places I went out to aren't even open anymore. So, that's currently challenging me right now, is, like figuring out is it Miami where I want to be and then like if so how do I start a brand new life and does that mean parting ways with New York you know so find finding and rebuilding my roots right no it's yeah it's some deep stuff so yeah um well I'm kind of confused you said you grew up in like New Jersey and then so when did when did your family come here yeah so my mom and dad honeymooned in Miami Loved it. And then very serendipitously, six months later, my father got a job in Miami. So the two of them left Jersey and have lived in Miami for like 30 to 40 years, literally. Like basically the duration of their whole marriage. So I was born in Jersey because my entire family is up there and like New York and whatnot. 
Um, but I grew up in Miami, so I went to school in Kendall. Okay. Shout out Felix Varela. Uh, you know, University of Florida for college. So I'm like, I grew up Florida, but my roots have always right. been up there. Okay. And so it's just they're both very rude places, Jersey and Miami. It's well, they're all... they're sister cities. Um, they are. Yeah. So what's some of your favorite Miami jokes? If you, I know that's like a lot, but you probably have tons. So like, what's something that you can make us laugh real quick? Yeah. Uh, so I say that Miami, everyone speaks Spanish in Miami, but I don't. Um, but I figured out when older women are talking shit about me because they call me muchacha. And I'm like, that must mean tiny bitch in Spanish. So, like, that's a quick one I always say. Um, or I say, I always make fun of, like, I feel like the Miami lifestyle is so over the top. New York is too, but New York's kind of, New York's a little bit more down to earth. I feel like Miami's very, like, flashy. Because in New York, and, it's hard to own a car or a boat. You know, you know, they don't own those things. Yeah, and everyone, like, even if you're rich, like, everyone's a little poor. Like, that city, like, beats everybody <laughs> up. Like, yeah. it's really funny to watch, like, rich people on the subway or something. Or, like, you know, like, like rich people, like, you could have, like, a penthouse apartment in Manhattan, but you're not immune from, like, a homeless guy pissing on you. Like, that's amazing to me. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Like, you know, like, you would be, like, you would have, like, prime real estate in Manhattan, but, like, we, we both can get fucked over by a taxi, you know? Like, it levels the playing field. Whereas I feel like Miami is so, like, sexy, lavish, over the top, blah, blah, blah. So I always joke that I'm, like, when my friends ask what I'm doing in Miami, I'm like, oh, I'm blowing Pitbull on a yacht. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm doing coke off a mango. Like, you know, like, so I, I kind of have that joke too. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I won't force it too much. Uh, you got to come check out Brittany. Cause, uh, so actually I did read that you definitely embraced the pandemic and the opportunities with zoom and all that. Yeah. So you won a competition. 92.9 the I point. I did. Thank you. And, uh, Boom. Colorado radio station and like, uh, 40 comics and you won. Yeah. And so what kind of jokes won it for there? Um, I don't know. I was, it was, a. it was actually really fun. It was live streamed through the radio station and it was a Zoom and virtual comedy competition and it was, yeah, it was across like a couple months and they just like, people got eliminated every week. Um, and I didn't care to win. I think competitions in stand-up are stupid. It's competitive enough and hard enough. Like, why would I... Anyways, whatever. Um, and why would I put myself in my head even more? But I just wanted, like, the stage time. And, like, your jokes got streamed on the radio station. So it was good exposure. And then, yeah, when it came down to the final week, I was one of the final comics. Um, and I did a lot of material. I did a lot of... I actually did a lot of, like, pandemic and 2020 mm. material that I later put in a special I taped at Villain in November that's going to be coming out in the summer. So I, I really think that that time on Zoom, those virtual shows, for getting me to, like, tighten up some jokes about, like, the election and the pandemic mm. and COVID and quarantine and moving back home and stuff. Because that kind of gave me a nice little time capsule of material that I can now just, like put out and yeah yeah it was very relevant stuff yeah um, yeah so you ever have a netflix special i want to that's the that's the dream that would be great or i don't know whatever the next big network is going to be when it's time to do that i read you were on mtv and tbs like what what exactly were you on there for yeah tbs i was i auditioned and was booked on their emerging talent showcase at the new york comedy festival and that was live streamed um and streamed like online for them as well too so that was where the tbs credit came in and then mtv did a private showcase 
that I too was recommended for. It was like a private showcase about like dating that I performed on. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really broadcast, but I use it as a credit. <laughs> Take that comment. Well, hey, Go you, ahead, use it against me. You got Fuck some, you. Some cred. What? So best new talent from the New York in 2019, right? The New yes. York Comedy that was Festival. Fun. Yep. Um, and so you got you got your share of accolades. Um, and so now you're in Miami. So you're still running like virtual shows. Like some kind of something about tarot or something? Tarot. Like, tarot. Yeah, You're into that? Yeah, yeah. Improvised tarot. Next one is bi weekly on Sundays at five on Zoom. It's very silly. Comedians bullshit tarot readings. Um, I think it's a great show because it hits people who believe in astrology and tarot get a kick out of it, and people who don't also get a kick out of it because the comedians are making fun of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's fun. We have a live psychic and it's improvised. It's a lot of crowd work. It's really fun. Um, yeah, and then I have shows in New York and shows in Miami. I'm currently producing three right now. Right, and you even were doing a podcast at one point, but it's it's kind of trailed off in January. It right? has. You're calling me out. <laughs> Look at you. Oh my god, that's so funny. You're like, you're, you had a podcast, but you you dropped the ball. You dropped the ball. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I um I I, I don't know. I have a, a women's organization that produces events and does takeovers and stuff like that and content and. I started, I interviewed a lot of women that I liked uh, in quarantine. I went on IG Live and I did it. And then the conversations were so good, I repurposed them into a podcast and I recorded some new episodes too. But yeah, it's You don't hard. have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. Let me, yeah. let me take oh, care of Yeah, oh, trust me. Don't steal, don't cringe on my space, all right, sister? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. You could have podcasting. I don't care for it. <laughs> no, there's um, room for tons of podcasts. But you obviously are just so busy that like, you know, you can't, I'm sorry. It's just like wow. That's another thing. It's like it's like it never stops. Yeah. It's like what you're trying to do. It never not trying. Stops. You're not trying. You're doing all this stuff, and it's amazing. I uh, thank you. I but I that's where I'm at right now. So it's funny you say that you can't do it all because I I am at a point where like I'm very like you have to choose. Yeah, less is more. Quality, what about coaching? Quality. I know Manny's great at coaching. What about? Yeah, I saw has... you do find the funny. So like you you six weeks, people can kind of find their funny and and maybe maybe even heal themselves. You know, psychologically. In yeah, some fashion. that's. What, what is that? That, well, pre-COVID, I taught improv. Um, I taught intro classes at the Brooklyn Brainery, which is like an adult recreation center in Brooklyn. Um, and I was like their in-house improv teacher, so that was super fun. And then that kind of helped me develop my own six-week program that honestly now would be killing it. Now that UCB and the pit and all of their competitors are <laughs> shut down, now it would kill. But yeah, I ran it for like two years and I did a bunch of sessions and I just taught improv and comedic acting and just like basic comedy exercises so i would never teach stand-up because i'm new to that still and i'm very new and still figuring that out but improv i felt comfortable yeah. teaching do you like teaching or like where do you find greatest joy is this just i like found performing? so much joy in teaching improv especially maybe it's because it came full circle for me because i loved it and that was the way and the reason that i fell in love with comedy was improv so to be able to introduce it to other people and like see them feel confident and find their funny and find their voice was awesome um but i am way too selfish as a stand-up so i find my joy in performing stand-up and i think i find the joy in teaching improv no reason you can't do both no no totally um you know, and I would I would still do improv today, like it's fine, but I don't have as much of an interest in doing improv because I've done so much of it that now that's why I was able to teach it because I was able to take my truly like take myself and my ego out of it. Like yeah. I was like I've done, I've done so much improv. I don't 
Right. I don't even know a suggestion like the audience could throw. I mean, I could obviously do more, but um, that's why I was able to teach it. Because right. I, I was like, I feel like I've reached, I've plateaued. hit a, a plateau a little bit with it. So I can now like impart wisdom. But stand up, I don't, I'm still learning, yeah. you know. Forever. I, yeah. It's like yeah. forever comics need to redefine themselves yes. uh, every couple of years, you know. And it's an exciting space to be in. So um, so speaking that we're recording here by the beach, I did saw you were at, um, you were up by uh, Sunset Harbor at, uh, the Bay Club? Was that, is that going to be a Monday? Is that a weekly That's a great now? show. That's a bi-weekly show. Will Lopez and Alex Maurizio co-produce it. Um, that's an awesome workout room. It's at Lucali, Miami. Great pizza, great food. Yeah, I host there often. Those guys are awesome. Okay. Yeah. And then there's also a show coming up. I'm excited to come by and see yeah, uh, Showfields. So Showfields next week on a Wednesday, 8 yes. p.m. Mm-hmm. Very cool space. Um, how would you describe that show? It's great. That's, um, it's, it's a little bit of everything. It's kind of like a showcase. Um, it really does blend like comedy, art, retail. We have a happy hour. Um, Showfields is a really cool store that uses art to kind of bring brands concepts to life. So if you walk in, like you have, it's, it's half store, half art gallery, really with Miami artists and international artists all over. And yeah, we are taking over their event space once a month and I'm curating a showcase. And it's great because Literally everybody, we did it last month. It was basically sold out. 50, 60 people were there. Awesome show. Cisco Duran, Ricky Cruz, just a great lineup. Um, everybody you see on that show is a feature or a headliner in South Florida comedy. Mm. So it's really strong start to finish. And it's not a comedy club. Right. You know, it's not a bar. It's not a restaurant. It's this really, really unique, different colorful space there's a slide there's art there's brands you can go shopping before the show and after the show um so it's kind of like trying to position it as a whole night out for people and you know doors open at seven it's done by 10 you can still get a good night's sleep or go to the strip club after whatever you want to do but yeah it's monthly so yeah laughs on lincoln at show fields come by yeah bring whoever you want i'll get you on the guest list it's great that, yeah, I'm loving all these walkable events going on, uh, you know, in Miami Beach, which is kind of like the, my walking score is like 99, you know, so it's like, I'm just, I'm happy, I, this wasn't even happening really like a few months ago, but I'm seeing more and more of this stuff pop up. It's For great. sure, yeah, and the beach itself is getting its own scene now too, I feel like a lot of the comedy in Miami is in like Brickle and downtown and, and stuff like that, and you know, we need more of that on the beach, so Bay Club is great for that, my show's great for that, I know other stuff is popping up. Um, I just did a room, Norman's Tavern, on the beach as well, too. Miami Stand-Up Comedy runs that. That was a great room to do. So, yeah, the beach has its own. Okay. I never realized, like, now that I live back down here, that Miami Beach is very different than Miami. Yeah, I mean, it's like a 10-minute drive over there, but, like, it's such a different world, you know? And like, a, Yeah, um, yeah. But it's it's only 10 minutes, so like, I, I still, you know, I make sure I get over the bridge, like, at least four or five times a week you know and, yeah and, uh, get the get the whole experience yeah for um, sure but uh yeah. it's like the Times square of miami i feel like i feel like new yorkers like tourists always want to come to miami beach and they're always like well that's miami right that's miami and then like the rest of miami's like nobody we don't live there like some of us do maybe but like no um but it's so funny because i feel like it is the equivalent of the herald square and Times square of miami yeah. in the sense that in new york people are like walking through Times square bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. like oh this city is so <laughs> bright and wonderful and like if you live there you're like 
fuck Times Square. Like, you're like, I hate Times Square. I hate walking through there. Yeah. But yeah. You gotta have a place to put on the postcard for a city. You know, you gotta have... Nobody wants Kendall on a postcard. (laughs) That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, No, it's true. It's it's pretty beautiful place. Um, So speaking of Miami as a whole, uh, this is kind of part of the podcast we start talking about you know, some of your favorite childhood joints or restaurants or, or yeah. places. Like, what are some places that are yeah, exclusively Britain? Oh, there's a Little Caesars in Kendall. <laughs> mm, daddy. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, truly, shout out Little Caesars. Um, one of my favorite places. I really love, I found this restaurant in Kendall called The Brick. It's really good. Okay. Really, really good food. I think it's, like, technically vegan or whatever. I'm not. But, um... I feel contractually obligated to say vegan, like vegan. <laughs> is it sustainable, non-GMO? No. Um, I think it is technically vegan, but their food is bomb, and their cocktails are so good, and it's technically Kendall. It's right by Dayland Mall. They're great. Um, I love, it's near Villain, and I think it's in Little Haiti. It's uh, La Santa Taqueria. Mm. Very good. Such good tacos and Mexican food and margaritas and stuff, too. Um, what else do I like? Oh, I run a show here. Vacillate Wine Bar, also in Kendall. Yeah. I live 10 minutes from it. Great food. Great wine. I can I can finish a bottle of wine very easily. Shout out me. Um, <laughs> shout out alcoholism, you know? <laughs> hey, that's just showbiz, baby. No, um... Yeah, I feel like those are my favorite. I love the design district down here. I didn't spend enough time there growing up, but I really like it now. Yeah, yeah it's good. Honestly, that's a good list of some new stuff for uh, for me to try. I love trying the new Mexican food spots. Yeah, go to that um, spot. It's really really Santa good. Taqueria. Santa okay. Taqueria. Santa um, Taqueria. Cool. So I guess this is the point where I, I finally asked for some of your some like some of your shout outs, like in terms of like people in Miami you admire. Who else could I get on the podcast? Would be interesting. Do you want to just shout out like th- two or three names for me? Oh my god, of course. Um, you, the top of mind that comes is Tam Grin. Tam works at Showfields. She is the head of all experiential and show at Showfields, and she's super, super involved at the Miami branch. She is. I have never met somebody who has consumed so much art and knows so much about art and its various mediums. And she's one of the reasons that we're able to bring comedy into that space. So she is a must-have, like okay. for the art scene and the Miami scene down here and I love her to death she's brilliant um and you got comedians like the comedy scene down here is just so so great like Aaron Shapiro would be great he's doing great things with Miami stand-up comedy um who else down here do I like who that's a lot who else down here do I like well no okay (laughs) um who else in Miami do I I don't know. Those are my top two. We're going to get Manny on here at some point. I want to say comedians. Well, Aaron's a comedian, but then it's going to get like, you know, it's going to get all like, you know, competitive. I think all the comedians are great. And I'm sure you don't want to just be like interviewing comedians because Uh, (laughs) you'll want to blow your brains out and I don't blame you, you know? So, um... Oh, maybe like, oh yeah, the owner of Casa Tiki is really cool. Oh yeah, I love Rick. that spot. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great spot. Great show on Thursday nights. Cisco, Danny Bonaventure oh, yeah? run it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my okay. list. No, that's great. That's I don't want to start. People are going to be no, very no, 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 upset no, no, no. if people I don't, don't mention it. them. This, okay? this is like a fun thing at the end uh, because this is like, you know, these people that you mentioned, it, it might be a year or it might be two years, but like at some point they'll be on the podcast. Oh, you my know, friend I'm Harrison not... Miles. Harrison Miles. There you go. Um, great cinematographer, filmmaker. 
screenwriter, really cool dude, lives in Miami. I'll connect you to All him. Right, cool. He's working on some really fun stuff. All right. Boom. All right, boom. Go. So actually, I'm going to close with this. What is This is something I often ask. Um, what is something people don't know about you? Blow our minds. You gotta give me a second. I mean, there's a lot of people know. don't know you're about like, me. You're like, which what is gonna be the funniest thing I can say? Right I now? guess, or like, I'm like, I don't know. People don't know my blood type. I mean, I don't, you know. Um, hmm. You know what? I know the answer. I am uh, a massive introvert. Oh my! No, you. We've had, no, we've had no, that no, answer no, no, no. a lot. Actually. Wait, wait, really? Yeah, people are like you know, people think I'm all this. I'm, I'm actually. Oh like, fuck! <laughs> shit! Damn! My God improvista, damn it! Improvista. Come on, I thought you were gonna pull out something crazy. All right, all right, all right. I um, I'm actually a huge bitch. No. <laughs> well, people know that. There's some people listening to this. They're like, we know. Um, I am. I am. I'm. Okay, I'm a very like traditional person, actually. Like I'm very liberal, YOLO, free the nip, whatever, do what you want, have your pronouns, live your life. I love that shit, obviously. But uh, there's a there's a side, as much as I am like in a very non-traditional career and have made some very non-traditional mistakes and and very liberal, very whatever, creative, open. YOLO, you know, there is also a side of me and I feel like I battled these sides that is also like very conventional and traditional. Like I was raised Italian Catholic. I am super family oriented. I can be really picky about social things, prissy about tact. Um, there's certain things that I do go by the book on that I could get into, but that's going to be another hour. So. I'm going to cut you off. Um, instead of all that, it was just Easter recently. I was with my fam. There were some funny moments. I'm sure you had some funny moments. Uh, what's a joke, good family joke you can throw at us? You could go in the vault. Go back in the vault. Whatever you said on a stage A good before. family joke? Um, okay, this is kind of a new one I'm working on. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, I grew up poor, and my family is lower middle class. We're just not, we're just not a rich group of people. Um, and a perfect example is I went skydiving one time. And I told my mom I was going and I was texting her and I said, I'm about to go skydiving it was with my ex. And I said, literally anything can happen. So I'm joking with her. I'm like, anything can happen. I just want to say, I love you and dad. You guys are the best. And I made a joke and I said, sorry for using daddy's credit card. And I was in a plane X amounts of thousands of feet. And all my mom gathered from that message is, do you have daddy's credit card? <laughs> that was it. Like, I was like, Okay, I'm about to jump out of a plane, risk my life, do one of the craziest things in the world. And my mom was like, I'm serious. Do you have daddy's credit card? Don't use daddy's credit card. Don't take card. it to the grave. Don't take it to the grave. Yeah, I'll work on that. But anyways, yeah. That was good. That was funny. I had fun. That's I a new this. one. Um, Everyone on your podcast is like, fuck her in that show. Now I can't tell that credit card joke next week anyways. What? As if you've never reused the joke before. Come on, bro. Oh, you got it. You got <laughs> to pull them off the shelf, baby. What? I mean, definitely, I'm excited to see you going forward. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of opportunities here in Miami for everyone to see Brittany and listen to some new stuff. Um, Showfields, Laps on Lincoln. That's the show to go to. All right, let's do it. Every month. Can we see you there?